Yo, bro, how you doing? I'm great, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, it's been a fun week. Um, like a lot of people, I'm spinning a lot of plates right now. And I'm seeing a lot of successes in a lot of places. And as long as I, I guess, continue on this trajectory, I'll feel accomplished. But I know that there's going to be a lull coming. Because when you have one of these weeks where you're just ticking so many things off, you're bound Thanks, to follow up with one of those weeks where everything just goes wrong. God forbid. I'm more of an optimist. I think when you have one of those weeks, it's because the build-up has been solid. And what that kind of week is followed by is another week or two of just build-up of through balls before you have another week of just executing. I like the analogy of through balls. I'm hoping for a couple of through balls. I think if I can take the successes from this week and push it into next week, then that is going to keep me going. I've, I do feel motivated. I think that's the good thing. And I'm, I'm hoping that everyone is, especially anyone who's thinking about business or is in business, because this is a, I don't use the word adjective fruitful, but it is a fertile environment um, where if you plant the right seed, it will grow rapidly. Quick, uh, almost testimony. I heard of a man who bought 2,000 um, gym mats just before lockdown. And they sold within 48 hours. Now, <laughs> he didn't ever predict that that would occur. But if he had foresight and that wasn't just a an entrepreneurial adventure that he went on, he would have killed it. He really would have won. And I imagine other people who have been doing this consistently are winning because of that. Yeah, and I think the lesson is almost not to take your foot off the pedal. I think when you get some victories, you can almost coast on those victories and then start to let things slip a bit. Like, oh, you know, I've, I've won here. Maybe I don't need to go gym this week or maybe I don't need to have that important session uh, that uh, was, was scheduled for me to, to have. And yeah. as, as, as those things start to slip or as, as you start to almost pat yourself on the back for some of those small successes, you start to fall into bad habits and then you lose it again. Bad habits. Definitely an expensive lesson. Speaking of which, welcome to another episode of Expensive Lessons. Uh, our audience members may have noticed something different from this episode. Tell us what you think. Yeah. We, we were painstakingly trying to decide what type of vibe we wanted to create for, for this podcast. And we chose something, a sound, a beat that we both liked. I think this cements the fact that we are old heads. Definitely. Because I, when we, I hear we, drill, I think of power tools. <laughs> <laughs> I know a couple of drill artists. I know Heady um, One, Pete and Baz, Homebase, Black and Decker. Are we getting old? We are getting... Listen, I, I'm embracing it. I love being old. 30 and but I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode because it's something which you have been implicitly speaking about um, almost on a daily basis. And I'm interested to understand why you feel it's such a pertinent issue and something so pertinent to discuss. Um, Agile and Lean, explain. 
So yeah, I, I've been toying around with what to call this episode. One one idea for the episode was agile and lean, but I really want to stick with the idea of do it now. And the reason why it's been put on my heart to talk about being agile and lean in this season is because there's some people in my life that I just want to grab by the shoulders and shake or hug <laughs> and tell them that you've got all of the tools, all of the qualities to build an amazing business. And all you need to do is start. Uh. All you need to do is do it now. And there are frameworks, there are tools, there are coaching sessions that people can delve into in order to get themselves in a position where they're ready to start. But there is no substitute for just starting. And rather than be a knucklehead and stick with the idea of telling people, just do it, just do it. I really wanted to delve into what does it mean to do it now? What does it mean to be an agile business? What does it mean to be a lean business? Um, in, in this day and age, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a startup, even, even if you're a large business, you're hearing the terms being agile and lean being passed around quite regularly. And sometimes those words are even used interchangeably. Um, yes. But, I really want to delve into what it means to be agile, what it means to be lean, and how people can actually make use of that that mindset in order to really become successful. So can you define it for us then, from your take? Um, and I'll try to almost feed off that. So first, being agile. Uh, what does it mean for a business to be agile? So for me... An agile business is a business that is able to respond rapidly to a changing environment, as well as move very quickly from an idea to execution in the shortest time possible. Uh. So an agile business is a business that can look at the environment and see how things are adapting and then build on that very quickly. A perfect example, whether they realized it or not, was... The, the the gentleman who bought all of those yoga mats, maybe yes. maybe they sensed a change in tide and thought this is going to be something which we can exploit. Uh, a more dubious or a more immoral example is all of the people who, when they start sensed lockdown happening, they went on Amazon and bought all the hand sanitizer. A more dubious example is suggesting that the banks are exploiting the current climate with interest rates and government-backed loans. But that's another discussion. It definitely. Well, it's, it's another point. It's but These are examples of people who are able to notice that there's a change in their environment and actually exploit it, take advantage yes. of it. And you can, once again, I've mentioned in the past, you can use your powers for good or you can use your oh. powers for evil. Another example is... We've seen a lot of wine distilleries and uh, beer makers see their sales plummet during this time because people aren't going to pubs and bars. But those companies, in a very short space of time, have been able to repurpose their equipment to produce what? Hand sanitizer. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect example of being agile, where you have an idea and say, Okay, so this is the environment that we're in. This is what our customers might need. We've got the resources and tools to deliver that. Let's move. But let's not move next year. Let's move now. And I really, yeah, my, my heart aches for people and businesses who have great ideas, but I know we're not going to see any results 
this year or even next year? Quite possibly because they do not read those three stages of acknowledging need, acknowledging what you have in your own hand, and then choosing to go now. Um, I'm, I'm full of sporting analogies, and for me, Agile was always that ability to, to move quickly and change position, whether it be from offense to defense. It's that rapid movement which enables you to be Agile. And if you are unable to do that, you are sluggish business. Irrespective of how powerful you might be, you are sluggish. And in all sports, pace wins. We've been told off by some of our listeners because a lot of our listeners aren't very much into sports, but we continue to use sports analogies. So here's another sports analogy. It's (laughs) when we see a team, a very offensive team coming against us, and I'm using a football analogy, and we've currently uh, deployed a 3-5-2 formation. So we've got three defenders at the back. If we've got an offensive team, being agile is being able to notice very quickly that we actually probably need to change our defense to five at the back. That's a, that's a very high level example for the, yes. for, the, for the few men who actually listen to sports and also engage with our podcast. You'll appreciate what we're talking about. That. Rightly so. You've explained that many people um, mistake agility for being lean. So, so in your own words, what would be being lean? So being lean is more about being able to maximize your existing resources and it's being able to eliminate waste, uh, both of your products and your services. So the example of the wine distilleries or the beer makers is actually an example of being agile because they moved quickly, but also being lean because what did they do? They maximized their existing resources. They didn't go and buy new machinery. They didn't go and build a a new factory they literally just repurpose what they already had for an existing customer need so when you're considering what it means to be lean the question that you need to ask yourself is am i making the most of the tools that i that i have and am i making the most of the customers that i have so for example a lean business isn't offering their customers their bare minimum. A lean business will offer the customers everything a customer is willing to purchase from that business. Which brings about a question on mindsets. Because I wonder who thought of pivoting from wine to hand sanitizers? genius now some people may assume that oh yeah it would have been the ceo or the company director not necessarily um but we do know whoever did come up with that idea is being envied right now and being widely celebrated because that will go down as just a masterstroke you've highlighted a seriously important point there which i think people need to be aware of especially big businesses which is the brightest idea may not come from your C-suite. It may not come from your senior leaders. So you need to have a mechanism in place, which means that you can listen to anybody who has a bright idea. There was one good example a couple of years back uh, from Waitrose. There was a serious drive to reduce the cost that Waitrose was spending. So they wanted to reduce their overheads. They wanted to be more lean. And 
there was a call for innovation ideas. And there was one elderly uh, cashier who noticed that whenever receipts were being printed, they were so long and they were so wasteful. There was a lot of excess paper being used to print receipts. And her suggestion was a very simple one. Why don't we make our receipts double-sided? Immediately cutting your paper costs in half. Now, somehow that suggestion got right up to the top, got listened to and saved Waitrose what I imagine by now would, would probably be hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Easily. Easily. And that's just printing. So I think the point that you made about listening listening to anybody with a bright idea and providing a mechanism or a process for that idea to be shared, heard, and acted upon is so important. In one of the greatest examples I've seen um, was an organization where every person was coached or had a buddy. And in one of the most peculiar instances, the person at the very top of the organization was being coached by someone who was only in their third year in that industry. Now, however gimmicky that might sound, what it did show was intent to listen and intent to learn, and that we are all teachers, we are all learners. It allowed for that stream of information to be shared, where at any point you can share what is on your mind irrespective of how silly you might think it might be. Because with the knowledge that I have, playing on a higher level, I'll be able to refine that and bring out the gem. There's something in that about encouraging every member of your team to be a leader or to adopt a leadership mindset. And if not being a leader, it's having accountability for the problem. If you're a small business, what you can't have is somebody who says, well, this is my job. This is my role. These are my roles and responsibilities. And I'm not going to consider anything outside of my roles and responsibilities. If you get that mentality in a small business, then you are losing money. Definitely. So, Question. Go for it. From me. Um, I was mentoring uh, a young lady who has a very interesting business. And one of the things I mentioned to her was that uh, your business will never be greater than you. So the question which comes to my mind is, why are people not agile? And thus, why are businesses not agile? Because if the business isn't agile, it's because the person at the top isn't. So why might people not be agile, in your opinion? That quote is really powerful. It's a really powerful quote. It kind of took me back a sec because I kind of wanted to dwell on it. Your business will not be greater than you. And it, it's it's so true. And it makes me think of another statement um, around uh, writing, being an author. Now, if you're writing uh, a novel, some some fiction, one one of the hardest things to do is to write a character who is smarter than you. So for instance, you can tell the difference between somebody who's writing Sherlock Holmes in an intelligent way and someone who's writing Sherlock Holmes in an unintelligent way because the beauty of writing a character like Sherlock Holmes is you don't have to do it by yourself. If you put multiple heads together, then even though you're one sim single person who doesn't 
necessarily have the intelligence of a, you know an imaginary character like Sherlock Holmes. If you get loads of writers in a room, then you can actually, through joining your minds together, create a character who's smarter than all of you. And there's there's a there's an underlying principle there around what it means to be agile because you can't necessarily be effectively agile by yourself. You need people in the team, people who can make up for your weaknesses. But to answer your question more directly, why, why are, what are some of the reasons why people aren't agile at the moment? And there are a lot of genuine reasons not to be agile. One of the first reasons, and probably one of the most impactful reasons, is a fear of failure. What you're saying when you are encouraging people to be agile is act now. Don't spend the time doing the detailed analysis that you might do, but you need to act now and step into the gulf and take a risk. Being agile is about taking risks because by converting your wine distillery into a hand sanitizer factory, there's a big chance that that may not bear fruit. So you need to be able to deal with that fear and deal with that risk. Yeah. One of yeah. the other reasons is being a perfectionist where you don't want to produce a product or service until it's absolutely perfect. Um, I think another issue is time management. In order to be agile, in order to move quickly, you need to be able to move fast. And if you've got poor time management, if you're not able to juggle multiple things at once, you may not be able to deliver effectively on an agile business plan. One of my favorite reasons why people aren't agile is procrastination. There's always something yes. else to do. Working from home at the moment, there are so many reasons to procrastinate. My house has never been cleaner. Yeah. And that's because sometimes you just want to do anything other than work. <laughs> yes. Um, but then there's another element. And in this day and age, we, we've almost characterized it as working hard and not smart. Some people are working extremely hard, working from as soon as they wake up until they go to sleep, but they're not necessarily working smart. They're not prioritizing the right things. And that has a serious impact on how effective your agile business plan can be. And I think the last reason is on business education. Sometimes if you don't understand the merits of an agile process, if you don't understand what an agile process looks like, then you'll just do what you may have seen in the past. And the term agile, the concept agile, is still relatively new. Oh. It's, it's fascinating because you, you mentioned fear of failure and irrespective of our onslaught of sporting analogies, I can't help but go there. But mm. tennis is a sport I admire. Um, and it's a sport which I admire for the fact that they record unforced errors. Other sports don't really record unforced errors. However, someone ranking up a high percentage of unforced errors does not necessarily mean that they are losing. You can rank up a high percentage of unforced errors and be losing miserably but you could also be winning. And it, it's, a, it's a mindset of taking risks Absolutely. and being willing to go for that killer shot, that um, avoiding the safe shot. Uh, you mentioned procrastination, and it's, it's, it's fascinating because 
the amount of people who know what they should be doing but don't do it. I remember reading that Netflix believed, or they said comically, that their only competitor was sleep. <laughs> um, now, it's a humorous statement, but for some, they have an argument. Because yeah. sleep is the only thing keeping people away. Um, they are bombarding you with as many reasons as possible to stay with their service. Um, and I really like the lack of business education because many of us will go in not knowing how. Many of us will go in without the acumen, but we will still do, which is a good thing. However, there's a major error in play if you do not attempt to acquire that education along the way because you're likely just to be repeating the same errors and making very expensive <laughs> lessons real. You're, you're right, and I think that's what holds a lot of people back because if, if you want to be an agile business, what you're being told to do is be innovative, be different, and tread an untrodden path, which definitely provides the opportunity for you to fall short and fail. But what it also does is provide an opportunity for you to win big. And I want to provide oh. people with a little bit of encouragement now. So I've got an iPhone. I'm not bragging. I, I, I really, I, I'm a recent convert still in my head. But if I look well at, <laughs> if I look at the App Store on my iPhone, and if you've got an Android phone, if you look at a Play Store on your iPhone, uh, on on your 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 mobile phone, you'll probably see that there are some notifications. I currently have 34 update notifications in my app store. Yeah. So that is 34 businesses that haven't completed their product or service. 34 businesses who have just told me that the thing that they sent me however long ago <laughs> is no longer fit for purpose and they need to change it. So the encouragement there is, it's okay to produce an unfinished product and send it to market. You'll still make money if your customers yep. like it. And, and, and also, when you are producing products and services, they can get out of date really quickly. So, for example, if you are spending five years working on your masterpiece, by the chance it's ready to launch, there's a good chance it's out of date. I look forward to next week because w once you mentioned that, I thought, how does a creative respond to that? A creative which is stereotypically um, seeking perfection from their own stance in their own art. How do they respond to that? And I think we'll be able to answer that next week when we do have a creative live on the show. But continue. But no, you, you make a good point because I think that's what you, you as a business need to decide. Am I doing this because I want to make money or am I doing this because it's a passion? Because yeah. let's look at the creative industry. Let's look at the movie industry, for instance. You could be an indie producer who produces a passion project which gets very little engagement, but you're incredibly proud of it. But then if you are a multi-billion pound studio like uh, Marvel or Universal, there is a formula which they apply to their films. 
So yes. even in the quote-unquote creative industry, we, we see how people are adapting. Another example is uh, Love Him or Loathe Him, Kanye West. Now, he is infamous for putting out unfinished albums and then taking them back and then sending you updates of his album. There's another, there's another musician, Russ. Now, Russ had a very interesting model. He decided that he didn't even want to do albums anymore. He just decided that for a whole year, he was going to produce a song a week. And when you're producing okay. a song a week, guaranteed... <laughs> Say again? There's going to be some trash. There's going to be some trash. But there's going to be some stuff that sinks. But all the while, you're gathering data. You're gathering data from what your, your, your audience likes, what they don't like, but you're also sharpening your tools. If you're if starting at the beginning of that process and going through the process of making a song a week for a year or however long he actually did it for, I think it lasted longer than a year, by the end of that process, you're going to be fantastic at what you do. Even if, you, even if nobody listens, your process is going to be well honed. And that's by taking a risk sending something to market and then learning from it and revising expensive lesson like 126 it, it took <laughs> me over four years to realize that we are all data companies and we are all media companies so that is a masterstroke on his part if he realized what he was doing on the outset and that's my biggest encouragement challenge to anybody who's worried about starting or delivering something to market you need to get data and the only way you can get effective data is by making sales because back to my point that i made a couple of episodes ago you need to start off with the suggestion with the mindset that nobody wants your stupid books but you don't know why they don't want it so how do you learn that by offering it to them seeing if they buy it maybe they don't buy it for £10 a box, but they do buy it for £5 a box. But what is the reason for that? The only way you can gather that important information is by sending something to market and let people rip it to shreds. Now, another another challenge, very sorry to, to interrupt very quickly. Another challenge around that is, you know, I want to start a tech company. So I need a lot of tech um, involved in my solution before it's ready to launch. I still haven't come across an example, I could be wrong, I still haven't come across an example where that is true. I've come across a lot of businesses that can be optimized by tech, but I haven't come across a business that can only be delivered through digital technology. So the question I would ask to you if you're a tech company is what is the low tech version of your solution? If if you want to to start a delivery app, where you go to the corner shop and deliver food to customers in your local area and you want to deliver an app where they can book online this delivery service. Why are you not knocking on doors right now and putting flyers through through letterboxes saying, I will, this is my number, I will go to the corner shop, collect the things that you want and deliver it to your door. Tech only that doesn't sound sexy. That you say? To, to the listeners listening and those who are making that error, that it doesn't sound sexy. 
Um, mm, true. I'm, I'm trying not to name the company, but there was a company I was speaking to earlier this week who the whole premise is based on them having that. And it's very clear um, after 10 minutes of speaking to them that one, the app isn't necessary. The app is a luxury yes. which will make you feel better about yourself. Um, what were my words to her? I have 30 apps on my phone and I probably use five of them. Why would I acquire yours and not use it for more than a week? Especially in the niche market that you're in where people tend to only experience what you're offering once or twice a lifetime. So this question. is a key question. It's about understanding your business, understanding what you're offering and how people engage with it. And once again, how do you understand that in the fastest way possible? Sell. Offer it. Even if it's a clipboard you know, or, or a, a newsletter, it doesn't need to be an app for you to make money. Sorry, you had a question. No. Learning, get to market as quick as possible. For those people who are questioning themselves, um, tucking into Ben and Jerry's or thinking, I really should just go back up to Netflix and just wallow away. Um, quick fire. How can they become agile as quickly as possible? They and their business. So this is a mindset thing. So to anybody listening to this, you are worth something. You are worth a lot of money to somebody. Guaranteed. Your Every hour you spend, somebody is willing to pay for that hour. How much are you worth? It's a key question that people not only need to understand, but really need to intimately feel. How much am I worth? Because if you actually have done the numbers or you at least have challenged yourself from your you know, a self-esteem perspective and you've determined that you are worth a lot of money, then you're going to look at that hour or that seven-hour period in front of Netflix a lot differently. And if you're starting a business your time becomes a lot more valuable when yep. you are in a business. Your time is your most expensive resource. And it's funny because we don't pay ourselves when we start up a new company. But if we did, I'm sure we would actually be rethinking what we spend our time yep. and effort on in, in the early days when you're not paying yourself. But that's the challenge that I would ask you. If you are a small business and you're not yet paying yourself, or even if you are paying yourself, appreciate how much money you are worth and then ask yourself the question, I just spent two hours updating the font on my website. How much did that cost me? I just spent two hours... Designing a business Redesigning card. Redesigning a business card. Oh, my goodness. You took it straight out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. How much did that cost me? Now, I'm not saying you don't need to do this at some point, but if you're not making sales yet, is that really what you want to spend your time doing when you work out how much you're worth? So, at first, I think it's a mindset challenge. But then the other, the, the other point is self-awareness or appreciate that you don't have the self-awareness. I procrastinate. Most of the people I know procrastinate. It's natural. And this is why you need accountability partners. 
You need to have people in your life. You have need to have people that you can speak to, mentors, other business professionals who you tell your goals to and who will call you up and tell you, and ask you, where am I on this journey? Or, where are you on this journey? How far through this process have you got? Because we're all we're all vulnerable to procrastination. So if you do have a plan, my biggest encouragement is to shout it to the rooftops. Tell as many people that you trust as possible what your plan is because they will hold you accountable. And Most definitely. they will then be the people that you don't want to dis- disappoint. Most definitely. One thing I would suggest is probably with study. Um, there are many of us who believe we know our industries, but don't. And there are many of us who believe we're offering something extremely unique, but are not. Now, if you're not offering something extremely unique, that is okay. You can still actually become really successful in terms of the way you market and take it to market. But study successes and failures within your arena. So true. Who's won? How did they win? Okay, that's one model. Find 10 other instances where people won. How did they win? What are the common denominators, if any? Who has lost? Find 10 others who lost. What brought that empire down? And don't make the same mistakes. Um, we speak about new companies coming up within our industry, what, every other day? We spotted, what, um, two? Two today? Two, two today. Um, and I, I laugh because I know how far each one will get based upon the person behind it. Because I know what they will not do, what they're not willing to do, how they're not willing to be agile and pivot and move quickly. So don't make that same mistake. Study successes and failures. I I think the defining moment of any business leader is when they come across their first failure. You can be riding away for a long time before you fail. But what defines you, I I believe, as a business leader is how you handle your first failure. So as well as appreciating your value, there's another aspect or element that I think people need to consider, which is their perception of failure. And it's not that bad. So one of my favorite analogies is the best thing about getting punched in the face is you realize that getting punched in the face isn't that bad. And then the power, <laughs> the power that it has over you disappears. It goes away. And then you're able to, to, to live your life with a little bit more confidence. Yeah. I think Mike Tyson may have heard that quote I because I heard it slightly him. differently from him. Um, and it was very <laughs> comical. Um, great Mike said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face which is genius it's absolute genius absolute genius because everyone does <laughs> but what do you do when you get punched in the face and that's the real test of your soul because that's when the plans go out the window and you're you're relying on muscle memory are you somebody who crumbles when things get difficult or are you somebody who steps up Are you the type of person who says, I've tried everything and nothing's working, so I have to fail? Or do you say, okay, well, I've tried 30 things and there can't just be 30 things. Yes. The power of the question. The power of the question. 
And, and there, there was another statement which I heard from a friend of mine earlier this week, and that was really powerful. She hit the nail on the head. And I'm going to butcher it now, but I'm going to try my best to, to, to recall it as she said it. Um, and it was something along the lines of, you only fail when you have a time limit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful because if you appreciate that this journey doesn't end until you quit, then the bumps along the way are just learning experiences. They're expensive lessons. Yep. And that's what I want to encourage people of. Failure isn't the end of the world. Failure is actually one of the best sources of data that you can hope for. So yeah. jump in, sell, make some money while you're building your business. And that way, your customers can help you shape your business. It's amazing how many people sell their failures. Um, <laughs> books. I wish to join them. <laughs> Happily join them. Agreed. And, and this is it. When we speak to experts, when we speak to people who are geniuses in their industry, they've all got a, a failure story. I'm currently watching, I'm currently watching Kitchen Nightmares on YouTube. I used to watch it when I was younger. I love cooking. So um, I, I always get hooked on cooking shows, but I'm watching old episodes of Gordon Ramsay Kitchen Nightmares. And to, to most people, they know him as a successful chef. He goes around helping the worst of the worst in terms of restaurants turn their, their, their lives around. And there's so many yeah. business lessons that you can gain from that, from marketing, from products to services that he helps to transform. But the thing that people don't ever pay much attention to is the fact that Gordon Ramsay has had three restaurants closed down. It's the tenacity. That they don't. They don't see the person. Going back to your your business will never be greater than you. This is an individual who I believe his career was cut short as a footballer. Um, played for Glasgow Rangers. Now that is just blowing people's minds away because they didn't even realize that what he was a footballer. Yeah. yeah, he was a footballer. That's how well he has done pivoting. That people <laughs> do not even know how he originally started. Um, hashtag Mark Wahlberg. Um, he was a footballer who had to end his career early but decided not to waste that that dogged mindset of just never giving up and placed it in another industry and irrespective of how many times there have been failures or knocks he, he continues to go so clearly his businesses will be successful because he is as an individual successful he's mastered failure that's a really powerful point. And to add to that, Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, was a prolific basketball player, one of the best of all time. And with my understanding, he is the only basketball player that I know of that's also won an Oscar. Wow. And that's the power of pivoting. And he didn't have a massive failure to... to, to to, to, to boost him into a new new field, but it's just another demonstration of being agile, having an idea and not listening to the story that you tell yourself. Oh, I'm a basketball player. I shouldn't be uh, cr creating uh, visual art. Uh, I've never done this before. There are very few people that have made a solid transition 
from sport into this world. I don't have the time. He's a very busy, he was a very busy person. I don't have the time. I don't have the, the expertise. I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And I know it's nerve wracking, but when you are tenacious, when you're diligent, it bears fruit. Feel the pain and do it anyway. And do it anyway. What do you mean by start with the end goal? Because I know you said this before in my... So start with the end goal. I think this is something that I I think a lot of people struggle with. And one of the old adages is being able to see the wood through the trees. So some people, when they wake up, their aim is to move one step further away from their start point than they were yesterday. So, you know, you're, you're a business person and you've got a business idea. You look at what you did yesterday and you look at developing your idea a little bit further, which I would say is the more traditional and probably more common way of building a business. What did I do yesterday? How do I expand on what I do uh, or what I did today? Starting with the end goal flips that round completely. And I don't just encourage people to do that for their business. I encourage people to do that with their life. Start with the end goal in mind. So what are you trying to do? So if you are trying to serve the community by creating a delivery app, for example, if you're starting with the end goal in mind, then you're asking yourself the question, how do I serve my community today? Not how do I build this app that serves the community at some point in the future, which will have you developing technology and you know going through all of the tweaks you might spend a whole year working out how to adapt one specific algorithm whereas if you ask yourself the question how do i serve my community how do i serve my target audience today then you get your bicycle and you start knocking on doors and handing out flyers and over time your community will feed into you maybe they even invest in your business maybe the money that they pay you helps you shape the business better But when you start with the end goal in mind, then you're looking at solving the problem now rather than creating technology or creating a process that will one day solve the problem. And if I was going to create or uh, another analogy or another use case, I would say, look at your life. Ask yourself the question, where do I want to be at 50 years old? Ask yourself that question. Where do I want to be at 50 years old? I want to be doing a job that I love. I want to be having a, uh, a beautiful family. I want to have my friends around me. Oh, great. That's what you want to do. So why are you not looking at those goals right now? If you said to yourself, I want to have a beautiful family when I'm 50, and you're not looking at how do I become a great father? How do I become a great husband? Right now, there's a problem. If you say to yourself, I would like to be doing a job that I love when when I'm 50 and you're not sending CVs to certain potential employers right now, there's a problem. So the, the question is, is what is the end goal? And that's not an easy question. I appreciate it's not a very easy question, but that's where the soul searching comes, which is where do you want to be and how do you actually create that 
experience right now? And for anybody who's delving in that into that question personally, I would recommend a book by Tim Ferriss. I think I've already recommended it in this podcast called The 4-Hour Workweek. And he talks about practically how you can create a lifestyle which is more about fulfillment than it is about punching monetary game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, most people, if they wanted to be living in a tropical island and relaxing on the beach a couple days a week, most people in this country, in the UK, could have that lifestyle. But because we're not necessarily focusing with the end goal in mind, we have to do all of this other apparently mandatory stuff before we get there. But this is us going down a, a rabbit hole because that that in itself could be a whole other conversation. It, it is a whole nother. And it, it's, those questions are difficult, but they're meant to be difficult. Um, we, we, we both learned that the quality of the questions that we ask will dictate the quality of our lives. And this is why it, we cannot separate the entrepreneur from the business. Yes. You have to be a highly effective individual to create a highly effective business. But as you said, we we could delve into this um, in so much depth. I'm interested in lean. Mm. How do I start a lean company straight away? To start a lean company, it's all about money. And I know that doesn't necessarily sound very altruistic or very um, noble, but... The reason why you start a company is to make money, generally. To, 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 to serve others, but also to make money. And the reason why it's important to make money is because the sooner your business becomes self-sustaining, the sooner you can help more people. So with that in mind, when you're starting your company, you need to focus on sales. You need to focus on revenue. Don't ask yourself the question, how do I spend money? Which is... What a lot of people do. A lot of people say, okay, well, I need to buy this machine. I need to uh, hire that person. I, I need, need to this buy, much investment. I need this much investment. How do you spend money? Wrong. It's how do you make money? How do I, and this is it. With what you have right now, anyone listening, with who you're trying to serve, the customer that you've identified, how do you get them to give you money now? Not with your fancy website, not with your fancy business cards, not with your incredibly uh, detailed application, but with what you have at your fingertips right now, how do you get them to give you money? And that is a difficult question, but there is almost always an answer to it. And good strategy is about asking the right question. It's worrying because speaking to startups recently, I've had to ask, so, so how do you make money? So, 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 how exactly do people pay? Why do they pay? Is worrying, but this has been a genuine thought in my head on a few occasions recently, and I think we all forget about that simple mathematical equation. What are you offering? But this is why I love entrepreneurs because sometimes they don't care about how much money they're making. And this is why I have to be the boring business person and say, if your business goes out, if you go out of business, you can't help anyone. So you need money coming in. 
I love the fact yeah. that people are willing to invest time and energy into serving their community or serving their customers without asking the question, how do I make money? But it's so crucial because if you don't answer that question, you don't have very long in business. And, and w when we look at what we're delivering to our customer, we have to prioritize it based on how it helps us make money. So everything that you're doing, this is the key question, everything you're doing as a startup, you need to ask yourself the question, how is this activity or how is this purchase helping me make money? So if you're a product business and you're buying stock or inventory, that question is very easy to answer. Well, this is stock that I'm purchasing and I'm going to buy it at a marked up rate. Fantastic. That's how it's making yep. you money. But if you are a product business and you sell most of your products at the Sunday market, why are you spending two days a week on your website? Because it looks good. It looks good, yes. But the question you have to ask yourself is, is this making me money? Maybe it will make me money somewhere down the line, but unless you can tell me what your development plan is in terms of how does this website help me make money, then you need to ask yourself, could that two days a week, could that hour and a half a week be better spent doing something else? I believe it's that people don't actually interrogate the accumulation of money. They know how much they're making at the end of the week, at the end of the month, but how they're actually making that um, through what they're exchanging for it isn't really examined. And thus the data, the data which is integral, which will help them to refine their approach of getting off the laptop and maybe going onto the stool for another couple of days would help. There, there are instances where people don't know actually where their customers are coming from mm. or why their customers are going to them or which product is not the highest selling product, but has the highest profit margin. Very different. Talk to me more it's about frustrating. I think that's a really interesting point because... The purpose of being a lean company is that you're maximizing your resources. And yes. you've made that point in the past about making sure that you're aware of your profit margins on your products and services. Could you expand on that? So I imagine everyone who's currently got a company or is planning to have one has their product range already in mind or their service range already in mind. And those who are already um, live will know which service or which product has the highest um, unit clicks, has the highest amount of people acquiring it. And that's great. That's good. I'll be interested in what your top five are. What will be better to know is of each service and of each product, what is the difference between the cost of you taking it to market and the acquisition cost? Or by that, I shouldn't say acquisition cost because that might make people think of other things, but the cost of you taking it to market and the purchase cost. Because once you've worked that out for your top five products, then you're able to say that actually, although product A or service A brings in the most amount of revenue and is the one which moves the quickest, it's actually product C where I have the greatest profit margin. Let me actually interrogate how and why people purchase product C. Let me actually invest a little bit more time thinking about how I can promote product C. 
product A might be the cost-effective version for my client, for my customers, that's the one they're going to pick the most. However, could I increase the ratio of customers purchasing product C to improve my profit overall? You've got a really important concept there. And I want to I provide a personal exp uh, experience to, to help uh, illustrate it a bit. So last year we had various offerings, but we had two very distinct selling mechanisms. We had our e-commerce business and we also had a salon. Yep. And we looked at the numbers and what we determined was that the e-commerce business was a lot more profitable. It also was the source of most revenue. But even if that wasn't the case, let's say our salon, we were making, I'm going to pull some random numbers out of the, the air, so don't try and watch anyone's pockets. But if our salon was making a million pounds a year and our e-commerce business was making 100,000 pounds a year, if we had to spend a million pounds a year to keep our salon afloat, and we only needed to spend 20K a year to keep our e-commerce business afloat, which one should we hold on to? You're asking the right questions. Once people start really interrogating profit margins, they know what they should be marketing, and they'll value their time a lot more. I also want to talk about payback period, because when we talk about investing our time, investing our effort or our resources, we also need to understand when is it actually going to pay us back? Yeah. Uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, another example from that. So I watched an episode where a restaurant owner fell in love with one of his bartenders and made her the co-owner of the business. Wonderful. She then asked to remodel the restaurant in order to engage, entice more customers. He didn't give her a budget, which was his fault. She spent, oh. he thought she would spend roughly £300,000 on remodeling the restaurant. She spent a million pounds on remodeling the, the, the restaurant. Now, the question that I was asking myself all throughout the... My mouth was wide open. I just... I, I, didn't, I didn't hear a word that was said for the rest of the episode. That was, that was said in the first five minutes. And for the rest of the episode, my mouth... I was just doing the maths to try and figure out. And the question I was asking myself is, how long is it going to take for them to pay back that one million pounds? Yeah. Because... Just because you start making profit, just because you are now increasing your sales by 20-30%, it doesn't mean you've paid back your investment. Because maybe on an annual, on a, on, on an annual basis, you're making 20-30,000 pounds profit on oh. your business. If you're making you know, 20,000 pounds profit a year, profit, then it's going to take you five years to repay that initial... Sorry, five years? I apologize. That is terrible maths. 50 That's years. Okay. To to repay um, to 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 repay that initial investment, so you really have to interrogate the numbers and understand 
okay, well, how much money am I spending on building this solution? And when is my payback period? When am I actually going to pay off that initial investment? And if anybody is looking for investors, they need to understand that question in detail. In immense detail. <laughs> uh, two points. It, it took me, oh, we're moving away from the sporting analogies and we're, we're going into Hollywood. Um, I'm going to bring you Bain. back to sporting analogies. That's fine. Bane, for those of you um, who've ever seen like, the Batman series, uh, especially Christopher Nolan's series, um, incredible. But Bane had a line, um, and his line was, victory has made you soft. Now, I think that line is extremely applicable to those who've had or taste success in business. Because we can fall into the trap of no longer interrogating the numbers and just assuming that this train is going to continue running. Um, just continuing to assume that, well, I've invested money previously. I'm no longer really tracking how much I'm investing because I'm still making a lot of money. And I'm sure I'll make it back. There are too many vague adjectives and nouns in that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just too vague for your grandchildren's comfort. Now, I'm mentioning them because they're the ones who will be told the story about your empire and how it crumbled. Second point, compound. I'm mm -hmm. a firm believer that self-sustainability is really important if you're starting out. Before you start um, pitching for X amount of investment, and I've, I've heard a ridiculous sum recently, especially when I realized how much the person had made. But anyway, before you start pitching or thinking about how much you need for your app or for your products, etc., etc., how much are you making and how much can you reinvest? Work out the ratio. Which products do you actually need? Which services do you actually need to do it now? And take that to market as quickly, as easily, as lightweight as possible. What I mean by that, cut the frills. Um, do you need a box right now? Do you? Maybe not. Um, if you're going to get one, does it need to come from that supplier? Does your brand logo need to be everywhere? Compound. Everything you make, reinvest it back into the business. See if the business can stand on its own two feet before you want to put it in a Ferrari. I was really hoping that you were going to do the Bane voice. When I you can't. Went. I can't. You said... <laughs> Success has made you soft. You're absolutely right. And what I would like to put in the heads of anybody who's looking for investment at the moment is to get them to understand that right now you are competing with a savings account, an ISA. Yep. When somebody is looking to put their money in a business they are looking for two things. They're looking for their money to be safe and they're looking for a decent return. So if you can't demonstrate that their money is safe in your hands, and if you can't demonstrate that you are able to take their money and produce more money, then they will either go to the bank and put their money in the savings account, or they will go to a more robust business offering definitely so the 
the challenge for you is to demonstrate what you are able to do with little to no investment in order to convince a potential investor that if they give you their money, not only is it safe, but they're going to get a great return. And if you can do that with your own money, if you can turn your own money into more profit, then you're well on your way to demonstrating to an investor that you can do it with theirs. But I, I do want to talk about how an existing company can transition into a, a lean business. Lean. And I think you've touched upon a lot of the key points already, but I really wanted to, to get your insight on how they could exhaust that and define an, an optimum ratio between orders from suppliers and sales or man hours and sales. Yes. So we've previously spoken about like reviewing profit margins on products and services. Um, there's also exhausting VAT and corporation tax. Um, are you claiming on everything? Is there anything which has been left on the table? Um, it's really important to have several conversations with your accountant just to ensure what is actually being claimed back, what you could potentially claim back, because VAT is a beast. Um, it is the beast. It might be the Antichrist. It's horrendous. <laughs> so prepare yourself for it. Um, same thing with corporation tax. There are thresholds. Expensive lessons, 162. There are thresholds, people. So if you, you could make too much money, yes, you could actually make too much money to the point where you're being taxed excessively. Yes. But that's a conversation between you and accountant. Get an accountant. Don't have one. Holler at us. Um, I do want to speak about defining that optimum ratio between orders from suppliers and sales or man hours and sales. And what I mean by that is in a season like COVID where you are realizing now that you are potentially a luxury brand or a brand which is dependent upon people's movement and thus sales and services have dwindled, you are either restocking in terms of your products, or you are having to create timesheets for people who are working for you to deliver your services. You need to take a step back and really think about the optimum ratio between the number of products you actually need compared to what's going to be sold. So this takes a little bit of forecasting. And whilst mm. you might not get this completely right, because you are forecasting into a future which you have not gone into um, and is cliche unprecedented, it is better to do that and invest time in that than just say, well, I'm just going to order 50% of what I ordered previously. So 50% of what? So going back to it, 50% of your highest, best-selling product, or is that your greatest profit margin product? Or is that a combination of two? What, what is it exactly? Only you will know. So it's worth doing the sums. Same thing from a product, um, a service providing point. If, you, if your movement is now limited, hopefully you've pivoted, hopefully you've utilized the tools around you to still offer that service, when could you do it to optimize your time and your client's time? If you've got people working for you, mm. how can you ensure that everyone is on the same wavelength? So that one, you can cut costs because you do need to cut, you need to cut back. You might not be paying everyone the same amount of hours. But have you acknowledged previously the most profitable hours within their day, the hours where actually they were able to reach 
your clients, your prospective clients, are they now being prioritized only in those times, keeping them on board? Or are you just saying, well, you can do Monday, you can do Tuesday, you can do Wednesday? Um, no, it's, 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 it's such a good point. If you if you run a you know, service-based business, like a cafe, for instance, are you giving all of your employees nine to five contracts when your busy periods are only between 12 and three o'clock? But then you've got resource, you've got staff members yes. who are twiddling their, thumb, twiddling their thumbs between nine and 12. Um, so I, I think that's that's really key. I, I do want to to ask you about your experiences. So I think when you were talking yep. to me about kind of defining that optimum ratio, I could hear the pain in your voice. <laughs> tell yes. me, tell me how you learned that process and how you've kind of applied it to to what you do. Well, fortunately for me, um, I I was a real startup which really compounded. So our offering right now is significantly larger than our offering initially. We only had four products um, at that time. So I learned exactly how to purchase what was needed for the time period. Um, so it hasn't been necessarily painful for me because I've, I, all I had to do was to revert back to what was a norm. Um, but from a month-to-month -month standpoint, it would look like me reviewing what has sold previously, what I forecast to sell based on seasons and trends, market trends. It might be things which are happening within the local community, the wider community, nationally, events, uh, festivals, uh, social media trends, and seeing what is to come. And then making an order relating to that, and then paying my supplier later. And not then. Mm. Um, I have an element of credit there, which is great for me because I can then um, decide to either increase that order or just hold my position and say, well, maybe I've ordered too much. Clear that balance the following month and start the same process again. This is which, not a gem. This is actually like a step-by-step walkthrough of how to win <laughs> at this. I, I think... Literally, I'm taking notes because I think this is really valuable and I'm looking at how this is relevant to other businesses as well. Please carry on. It's that simple. I hope why I said it's simple <laughs> because um, well, it's just my reality. Um, it, it comes from that history, like I mentioned previously, of having to order product-based only what was necessary. So by that, deciding mm, that new product which is interesting looks good people actually want it including my wife interrogating it and saying no that's not going to sell oh. having that ability to stand back and say that is not going to be profitable but you know I'll, I'll pull it back to another analogy which is once again good old gordon ramsay he went and spoke to a pizza restaurant and one of the things that he didn't understand is why was their menu 20 pages long? And in this pizza restaurant, they were offering seafood, they were offering steak, they were offering um, rice dishes. And over time, I think this, rest, this menu just grew and grew and grew. But ultimately, you could go back and simplify. So in, in them having to purchase stock, 
or inventory so that they can serve a steak if a customer asks a steak, even though a customer goes to a pizza restaurant for a pizza. <laughs> they're spending money on steak that they might actually end up throwing away because they're just trying to offer everything. Sometimes you need to really appreciate what it is you do well and simplify yes. your offering so you're reducing wastage. And I think that's a, a concept that's relevant to any industry. Definitely. Validate it. Do your competitor analysis because there will be moments in which you will feel nervous because your competitors are offering more. But go follow the numbers. Follow the numbers. Really step back and think about what is actually selling. Um, you don't want to be that corner shop which has toys and other gadgets that not, don't actually move. But the only thing that does move is Snickers and milk. Exactly. Sell what moves. And with that numbers point, um, the last point from me is understand your numbers. Find, qualify, and measure your metrics. If, for example, you are a business that had a billboard, a local billboard which started to gain engagement, maybe you were a barbershop and you had a billboard pointing to where your barbershop was, and you could actually measure how many people came into your shop as a result of that billboard. Fantastic. Yeah. But you need to continue measuring that because every month that you are paying to have that billboard up is a month you're losing money. Nowadays, yep. we work around with influencers, social media influencers or um, uh, other types of sporting uh, partnerships, etc. But it's very important not just to pay the money to that person to help promote your brand, but to understand exactly how many sales have resulted yes. from my partnership with this individual or with this other company. Understanding that, measuring it, qualifying it and reviewing it on a regular basis means that you're not wasting money in areas that could be spent elsewhere. Definitely. Be willing to take your ball home. Be willing to say no. Um, we have a, a leadership meeting tomorrow where I'll be sharing <laughs> instances where I've said no to influencers with over 150k followers who we have worked with in the past who we do have a relationship with who we to really stress picked up when they had less than 10k followers but what they're offering now isn't good enough say no and you need to know as a as a as a business person you need to understand so that you are in the best negotiating position possible we're data businesses, people. We are all a data company. Wise words. Bro, I think that's another episode. It is. I enjoyed it. Me too. Me too. We're, we're working hard to keep to time. We got good feedback last week that you guys like the shorter episodes. We're slightly over, but I hope you appreciate the discussion points uh, that we, we raised uh, in this conversation. Now, this could oh. be literally exploded as a discussion topic yep. so if you've been listening to this and you've got your own anecdotes to share or you've got your own experiences around being agile or lean just get in touch with us share your questions for this one share your points share your ideas and we'll definitely use them as uh, springboards for other conversations in future definitely please apply this people it works we did not create it these are aid old principles Reminds it for me. All right, that's another episode. Have a great week. We'll speak to you soon. Take care, people. Thank you.